All right, so we've been doing this series on R-rated relationships for the last four weeks, and we have really got into some some stuff that are that content that is not often talked about uh, in church settings, including last week we talked about the whole the whole thing of sexuality and human relationships. That's why there's less people today, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, um, but today we're going to talk about another often avoided subject, and it's a source of contention in relationships, regardless of what kind of relationships, and that's the subject of money. Usually when you talk about money in a church setting, it brings a little bit of fear into the room and people start feeling very nervous and very tense uh, because there's often guilt associated with this in church settings. You know, I use the formula money plus church equals guilt. And this is usually the way that people feel when we talk about money. But I'm going to do it in a very, very different way today. Uh, you've heard messages, I'm sure, uh, about tithing and all this. And people feel like, well, I just I have to tithe and I, and I feel guilty. Um, I'm convinced that a lot of people, uh, if you talk about tithing, uh, they don't do that because they can't. Or at least they feel that they can't. And they can't because they're in so much debt. And the debtor is robbing their ability to, to worship God in their giving, and they know it. And sometimes it would be better to teach people how to deal with their debt rather than do the whole church plus guilt or church plus uh, uh, money equals guilt. But it is a source of contention in relationships. And the fact is, we talk about money all the time, we think about money all the time, we want more money all the time. Money is a source, it, it, it weaves its way through every part of culture, uh, and, and everything, everything that you do, if you think about it, in the long run, involves money. Everything. Even your trip here today, in some way, money was associated with it. Even if you walked, money was associated with it. You had to put the shoes on to come and walk. Well, you paid money for those shoes. Right? So when you think about it, it touches every single area of life. And Jesus and the Bible have a lot to say about the subject of money. Uh, so I want to get your eyes focused on our big scripture for the day, uh, which will come up on the screen. But uh, if you have Bibles and you bring them uh, to, to church here on Saturdays, you can you know open the Bible or look at it on your phone or whatever. But I'll put it on the screen uh, for you, this is from Luke chapter 14, verses 28 to 30, all right? Uh, and while you're, while you're looking at that passage, uh, let me give you a statistic that I found very, very up-to-date. Uh, the typical Canadian owed $21,348 in consumer debt at the start of 2016. Consumer debt, the typical Canadian owed $21,348, which has apparently jumped 2.7% in the past year, and that does not include uh, a mortgage if you're a homeowner. Um, this is the conclusion of a new report from TransUnion, which is a credit monitoring firm, and uh, they say that Canadians now have more of virtually all forms of consumer debt, including credit card debt, installment loans, and car loans. Wow, over $20,000. You may be in that boat today where your consumer debt, not, a, not talking about a house, 
is 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 that level over twenty thousand dollars that's apparently normal for canadians jesus said suppose one of you wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it for if he lays the foundation and he's not able to finish it what happens everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying this fellow began to build and he was not able to finish the words of jesus are are really in stark contrast to the culture that we live in which is essentially a borrowing culture a culture in debt uh, we even to some degree have seen that debt is actually rewarded uh, within recent memory we've seen the famous government bailouts of companies that were in deep deep debt and what did the governments do uh, they bailed them out in many cases so it, it, debt is a is an un, uh, unfortunately a familiar friend uh, to most people and i think most canadians i wish the statistics were different for people who who profess uh, christianity but they're not uh, the average canadian regardless of religious background or whatever is over $20,000 in consumer debt and this is a this is a challenge uh so i want to talk to you about that area because that's the area that people fight about when those bills come and they have to be paid then there's this tension and there there's this quarreling that starts so i'm going to give you a message that you probably you've never heard uh, about money in this way in a church setting but i'm going to talk to you about how to deal with your debt because i'm convinced that when people deal with that and they're financially free then they learn to worship god more uh with the resources that he's given to them so let me give you five five little tips for you okay and you feel free to take out your phone and you know take pictures of it on the screen as quite all right with me i'm going to have a little bit of fun with you today um uh, so i'm going to try and inject some humor into this so somewhat serious uh subject okay so a uh, piece of advice number 1 stop borrowing stop Okay. stop borrowing I, i know you're waiting for something a little more profound uh but if you don't start here you will never ever get out of debt you will be in debt until your day comes we sang about the on that day <laughs> well you will be in debt until that day and when you pass away your estate will pay your debt so you will be paying your debt even when you're in the grave so stop borrowing now and you may have a chance to actually get out of debt in your lifetime wouldn't that be nice the overall weight of scripture is against borrowing it doesn't say that borrowing is a sin but it is it is not a big fan of borrowing why uh, proverbs 22 and verse 7 the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender this is very applicable especially when it comes to credit cards and this is where the big disease is is when people start spending all this consumer money using these credit cards the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender the apostle paul says in romans 13:8 i think 
think these are on the screen, yeah? Uh, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So he doesn't want debt except that debt of love. It doesn't go so far as to say that borrowing is sin, but it cautions against borrowing because of this you become the servant to the person who lent you the money. It's interesting in the scripture, uh, while God doesn't condemn it, um, he tries to show uh, compassion uh, toward people who are in debt. In the Old Testament, we see some interesting institutions there. Every seven years, uh, debt was to be forgiven. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, uh, in Leviticus 25, we have what they call the year of Jubilee. I wish we had this today. Every 50th year, the land was to be returned and redeemed by its original owner. So God had, even in the Old Testament, these ways uh, to kind of zero off debt. Even back then, you had plenty of people uh, who were in debt. Uh, God does not want people taking advantage of one another through this borrowing and people charging exorbitant interest rates and essentially uh, ripping people off. Uh, he, but he still wants us to pay when we borrow. You've got a very moving story uh, about debt, probably the, the, one of the most moving stories of, about debt in all of Scripture in the Old Testament, Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, the story of the widow's oil. So it goes like this. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out, to Elisha, uh, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Uh, so this woman had lost her husband. Uh, they were in a tremendous amount of debt. Her husband was in, if you will, the Bible college of Elisha, the prophet. Okay, he was, he was a great guy. He worshipped God, but he had huge debt. And so the person who who loaned him the money said, well, you're going to pay your debt now, even though you're dead, I'm taking your children from you. And so the woman uh, uh, goes and finds the prophet Elisha and uh, tells him the story. And Elisha replies to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she replies, your servant has nothing there at all. She said, except a little oil. And so Elisha said, well, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Ask for many. Then go inside, shut the door behind you, and your sons pour oil into the jars. And as each jar is filled, put it to one side. So she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons, and she brought the the jars to her, and she kept on pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's no more jars left. There's so much oil, we, we don't have enough jars for all this oil. And then the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. What a beautiful story of provision, how God uh, uh, provided for this woman that she kept her family and was able to live off of all of the money that came in from this oil. But she had a little bit in her house, just a little. And that's all that the, that the prophet needed. Maybe you're in debt up to your eyeballs today. 
Some of you are in so much debt, maybe, that you're worth more dead than alive. It would be better, you know, you've got an insurance policy waiting or something, and it would take care of all of it. I mean, this is so discouraging. This is so depressing when we live under this kind of load of debt. You might be up to your eyeballs in debt. God doesn't condemn you. He wants you to get out of it. Maybe all you have is a little oil. Well, if you've got a little oil, there's a way. You just need a plan. Okay, back then, Elisha was the plan. Today, you might need another plan. But if you've got a little bit of oil, you can do it. Uh, but you may be in debt up to your eyeballs. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, is all debt bad? Uh, is, is having a house bad? Because a house typically is a piece of uh, real estate that goes up in value over a long period of time. Again, it's not, it's not about being bad. It's can you pay it? Uh, and God does want you to pay it back. He doesn't condemn you uh, for borrowing it, but he does want you to pay it back. Uh, a house is a good thing sometimes and not a good thing sometimes. It depends on the person. Uh, I know people who, who have rented all their lives and they are incredibly wealthy. The amounts that they're able to give to the work of God are staggering. I'm thinking of one person that I know today uh, who... I mean, I can't even believe the amount of resource that she's been able to put into the kingdom of God. Never owned a home in her life. Uh, so it's not always the greatest thing to own a home. Uh, it's a big responsibility. Again, this isn't about bad or good. It's about can you pay it back? What about credit cards? Are you saying that credit cards are wrong? Be careful what you say, Pastor, because you're asking for donations using a credit card. <laughs> we know what a square is. So be careful what you say, right? Uh, no, credit cards aren't wrong. Uh, but are you able to pay it back? And those of you who give uh, to God's work with a credit card, well, I hope you're able to pay it back. And you need to understand how these little pieces of plastic work. Because many times we don't. And we con ourselves into thinking that we can afford to do the thing and we go and we buy whatever. Uh, but then we realize, hey, when that bill comes did I really spend all that money? Okay, so let, let me explain to you how this works using a bit of a humorous example. Okay, we're going to talk about Sally and we're going to talk about Susie. Okay, two ladies who are hunting for shoes, you know, on Black Friday. So, so they're going to, who knows, they're going to cross the, the, the border. They're going to go into the U.S. You know, they're going to spend a couple of days in the U.S. and go to, go to Walmart really early in the morning because, man, there's shoes on sale. And uh, you, you've got, you've got. Let's say, uh, let's say Sally, she's she's gonna get that Black Friday deal. But Susie, she's like, well, you know, I'm gonna sleep in, and I'll just go to a regular store and pay the regular price price for the shoes. So Sally goes and she gets in the line, you know, the Black Friday line, and she goes to Walmart and she goes and she find these found, found these shoes, and they're you know 50% off, and she paid for them on her credit card which already has plenty of debt on it. And she said, oh, I'm so happy I got the shoes for 50% off. That's uh, Sally, right? Did I say Sally? Okay, so Sally, she used her credit card. She got the shoes 50% off. Susie, she decided to sleep in that day. They were in the same hotel together. And Susie said, ah, you go ahead, get your thing. I'm going to sleep in. I'm just going to go over to this other store here. They have no Black Friday sale. Get the exact same pair of shoes, but I'm paying double the price. But I'm paying with cash. In the long run, guess who paid more for the shoes? Sally did. 
Because what Sally does all the time is she uses her credit card for everything and she does not, does not, does not pay off the balance every 30 days. She pays a little bit. She makes the minimum payment, let's say. Nobody's chasing her down for money. She makes a minimum payment every month on that credit card, but she never pays it off. So she's saying, oh, Susie, you slept in. You missed a great deal. I got the shoes at 50% off. It might take her 10 years to pay for those shoes. Whereas Susie paid double the price and she, pay, she will pay less in the long run for the shoes because of all the compound interest that is collecting on Sally and her credit card over time. You need to understand how these credit cards work when you do not pay off uh, the amount every 30 days. Uh, you know, when you get a credit card... They give you this little piece of paper. It's a, it's a card holder agreement. You ever seen one of these things? It has this little fine print. I brought one in today. Okay, Really fine print, really, really hard to read. But let me read to you how the payments are applied to your account. Or let's just say, for argument's sake, to uh, Sally. Sally's account, okay? We apply payments to your account as follows. First, we apply payments to all transactions that have appeared on your monthly statements, including uh, or in the following order. Interest. In that order, not choose. Interest that's already accumulated on Sally's card. Her minimum payment, all it's doing is shaving off a tiny bit of that accumulated interest first. After that, Fees, whatever those fees may be. Sally likes to boast that she has a low interest credit card. So she's paying 8% instead of 25%. She says, oh, I pay that $45 a year fee and I get my low interest card. Well, she's paying interest on the fee, <laughs> which she doesn't realize either. But her money first goes to interest and then it goes to fees and then it goes to cash advances. Now, if Sally was really crazy, she would have done a cash advance on the credit card by sticking her credit card into a bank machine and withdrawing cash. If she did that, the interest would start to accumulate the moment that she withdrew the cash. The second that she withdrew the cash, the interest starts to accumulate on that money. It is the biggest cash grabber when you use a credit card to get cash out of a bank. And then interest-bearing purchases and other charges. So the money that she's paying every month as a minimum payment is doing nothing to pay for those shoes. And if she keeps doing that, it could take her multiplied years to pay for the shoes that she bought at 50% off at Walmart on Black Friday. While Susie paid 100% the price, Paid cash, zero interest. She's the one who's saving money in the long run because she is not a borrower. She's able to manage her money so that she spends what she has. And when she doesn't have it, she doesn't spend it. So if you are not able to pay off that balance every month, you're going you're gonna to get hit with that compound interest and it will come like a, like a freight train after you. Um, so stop borrowing. If that means you have to take a pair of scissors and cut up the card, do so. 
If that means you have to take the card and freeze it in a block of ice, do so. Whatever you can do to stop borrowing, you're going to, that's the first step. Number two, and you're not going to believe this one, start tithing. Say, well, wait a second, I can't afford to tithe. Just watch this. I want you to see something. I want you to see an application from Scripture that you've probably never, never seen before. We have a passage in, in the, the prophet Malachi, the Old Testament, that's always used to, to persuade people to tithe. And they often feel guilty when they read this passage. I want you to read this passage in a different way today. And I want you to think of Visa and MasterCard as you read the passage. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, God says, you are under a curse. And I will call this the curse of compound interest from people who lend you money. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see. If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Those pests are compound interest from Visa and MasterCard. They are devouring your crops while you're sleeping. While you are in bed, the compound interest is devouring your crops. God says, I will put a stop to it. You will have so much blessing, there will not be enough room for it. I'll prevent those pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. All these things, picture them as how that compound interest kills you and kills the resources that God gives you through all the work that you do. I believe that that curse that he speaks of has application with the use of these credit cards and all of this compound interests. Uh, that, that accumulate. And when we, say, when we start to give to God, a very strange thing starts to happen. We begin to realize that our debt isn't such a hopeless situation. Because when a person starts to actually deliberately give to the work of God, they have to decide to do that. And when they decide to do that, it also means, wait a second, how am I going to afford to do one and not do the other? I've got to figure it out. And over time, they begin to say, ah, now the debt, I, I have to manage this debt because I've decided to give to the work of God. And that doesn't even include the way that God begins to work on that. You will find, even if you're not quote-unquote tenthing or tithing, I think I have a picture of a tenth there. Many people, when they start giving to God, they do not start with a tenth. And, and no one should be condemned for that. Uh, some people, it takes a long time. To get even to that number of a tenth. Well start with something. And you will begin to see how God enables you more and more. To deal with that debt as you trust him a little bit more with your finances. And I've seen people and they start this way. And it's very very slow. And then boom all of a sudden they just love to give to the work of God. Uh, as expressed in a local church or whatever. Or around the world through missions or parachurch organizations or whatever. But you've got to start somewhere. And when you start doing that, you will see the hand of God literally will start to provide for you that you're able to attack that debt with a little bit more ferocity. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth. You may say, well, I have no wealth. You've got a little bit of oil? 
Honor the Lord with it, with the first fruits of, of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Then your vats will brim over with new wine. You're richer than you think. We here in the West and in North America, we're a lot richer than we think that we are. Most people around the world, compared to us, live in poverty. Uh, and we have to realize what we have instead of complaining about what we don't have. Stop borrowing. Start tithing. Number three, start budgeting before you spend. Before you spend the money, have a budget, have a plan. Uh, one of the things that I teach when I teach money to people is about what I'll call a zero budgeting system. Okay, Where everything that comes in minus everything that goes out ends up being zero. Does that make sense? Everything that comes in, however it comes in, minus everything that comes out, no matter how it goes out, equals zero. A bit like this, where you got your income and your expenses, and look at that, they balance. You don't have leftover money at the end, but you're not in the red at the end either. Everything that comes in, minus everything that goes out, is zero. If you actually take the time to look at where you spend your money, I guarantee you, you'll be in shock. It'll probably take you two or three months to realize where you're actually spending your money. And to do that, you got to save the receipts and all that stuff, and you got to look. Look at the amount of money that you're spending at Starbucks. I have met people who have two, three, and four insurance policies on the same thing. And they're paying, and sometimes it's actually through a credit card company that they get an insurance policy, and they're paying interest on, a cre on an insurance policy from a credit card company, but they already have insurance for the same thing with some other company, and they don't even realize it. And they're getting gouged like crazy with all this debt, and they don't even realize where they're spending their money. Cell phones, cable, all this stuff. Do you really need all those channels? Like, do you need 500 channels? Do you watch all 500? You know, all these things, when we look at them and you look and see where you spend your money, you might realize, wow. And that's when you do that, you start to form a budget. And you say, well, this is what it really costs me for this. And this is what I really need to spend for this. And a budget is a plan. This is how I'm going to spend my money. I'm not going to do it just because I feel like it. I'm going to do it because my budget tells me that this is where I have to spend it. Jesus said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Is he not going to first sit down and estimate how much it costs so that he sees that he has enough money? Because if he doesn't, in today's language, he's going to look like an idiot. Everybody's going to laugh at him because he went and he tried to build the thing and he doesn't have enough money. What do we do whenever we see these building projects in the city of Montreal? What's the first thing that we do? We scoff, we giggle, we laugh, and we say it's going to be overpriced and it's not going to be done in time, right? Nearby us, what is happening? The, the, there will be a new bridge someday, a new Champlain Bridge, right? And you see these cranes everywhere, all over the places, cranes all over the river. Those cranes aren't even building the new thing yet. They're just maintaining the old one. When the new one is built, how many of you think it's going to be on time? How many of you think it's going to be in budget? Nobody except the joker at the back, okay? Because we're used to seeing these kinds of things 
And we laugh exactly what Jesus said. And we laugh at all these plans because what have we seen over and over again? Our tax dollars are going to pay for these things and they did not consider the cost. They never consider the cost. The question is, do you and I consider the cost? Take a couple of months and look at where you spend your money. You might be very shocked. Everything that comes in, minus everything that goes out, including your savings, including your whatever, your, your tithing, your planning for the future, everything, everything, everything should be zero at the end. And you start working that way and you tell your money what to do instead of your money telling you what to do. That's called a budget. You'd be very surprised where you spend your money. Christmas is coming, yes? How many of you know Christmas costs money? Lots of money it costs. I, I do not like how much money Christmas costs me. I do not like it. For me, the, this time of year that we're in right now is called the nightmare before Christmas. Because I've got to figure out, do I have enough money? Can I afford the juggernaut of Christmas this year? This is why I like Ebenezer Scrooge. Because he, he doesn't like Christmas. He doesn't like spending money. You know, sometimes I relate to this guy, Right? It, because when January comes, you spend all this money on your credit card and you just, you don't want to see the bill. It's minus 20 outside and you do not want to see what Visa and MasterCard wants to visit you with in the night, you know. They'll visit you in the night. They're taking the interest from you. They're taking the money from you while you are sleeping. They are making money off of your consumer debt. Start budgeting before you spend number four. Start snowballing your debt. This is an old grandmother's way of dealing with debt. It works all the time if you're able to stick to the plan. We all like snow in Quebec. We'll start snowballing your debt. In your budgeting process, how are you going to deal with that debt? So one line in your budget, you mean debt. Well, how am I going to deal with that debt? Let me explain to you a really simple, this is from your, your grandmother's grade 5 math class, okay? In snowballing your debt, Proverbs 21 verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You may have hastily spent money on the credit cards, but if you have a diligent plan, you can get out of it. You'd be surprised how fast you can actually get out of it. What plan can we use? Well, let's go back to our example before there of Sally and Susie. Can you put the next slide on the screen? All right, so let me show you, let me show you Sally's debt. All right, and if some of you see yourself in this, don't worry, okay? Nobody here is named Sally. All right, so here's Sally, and this is her debt. She's got her visa. She owes, let's say, 500 bucks on the visa, and it's 12%. You know, she pays her, her special fee card, so she only pays 12% on her 500 bucks that she owes the visa. American Express, she got 2,500 bucks on there, 18%. Oh, I mean, that is, that is pestilence. That's the curse that Malachi is talking about. Sears card, wonderful, 29%. I think that's actually what Sears charges, 28.8 or 29%. She's got $3,000 on that. And then she has a loan from her parents. She doesn't pay any interest on it. 
but she owes $10,000 to her parents. They're, they're kind enough not to charge her interest, all right? They're Christian parents, let's say. And then she, she went and she bought this stuff at Bloem Martineau. You know, they said, you don't have to pay it off until Jesus returns. And so it's $12,000 that she bought in furniture and televisions. And they always throw in a flat screen TV if you buy the beds and all that. So the twelve grand she spent, 28%. So she's 22, 25, 27. She's $28,000 in debt. This is a little higher than the Canadian average, which is just under 22. Okay? I've met people exactly like this. This is Sally. So if Sally wants to have a plan to start to pay off her debt, which debt should she attack? I mean, she's going to get so depressed trying to, how she she's got to make minimum payments, she's doing minimum payments on all these things, let's say right now, or if she's really nice to her parents, they don't ask her to pay for a little while, and she kind of begs for mercy, but if she really wants to get serious about it, which one do you think she's going to have to start to try first? How many say Visa? Okay, how many say Sears? Okay, why do you say Sears? Because of the higher interest rate, right? So they're taking it's it's bigger curse. So we need to deal with that one first. Let me tell you how the debt snowball works. The debt snowball works exactly in the sequence that you see there. So the first debt is she's snowballing, and again, this is a grandmother's technique. Okay, really simple way, but it works every time. There are other techniques too. This one works every time. If she deals with the lowest amount rather than the lowest interest rate she will have a little bit of hope. If she thinks, if she dares to think that she can deal with that Sears at 29%, it's $3,000 versus the mere 500. She would be wiser if she's snowballing to attack with all of her might that first 500 bucks. So what she can do is she can make minimum payments on everything else. Just give them the minimum, but go after the smallest one. Go after that with all your might. You know, cancel a few channels on uh, on your cable thing. Uh, uh, throw it away and get a twenty dollar you know antenna like me. I don't have cable. I have a twenty dollar thing from from Radio Shack, and I get thirteen channels. Okay, the rest we watch on the internet. Uh, so you know, do do whatever you have to do. No more Starbucks for three months. And she can deal with that 500 bucks. She doesn't pay minimum on it. She goes after it with a little bit more. Everything else is minimum. And then once the visa is done, think of an X through that $500. Ah, now she's going to go after American Express. So she's going to take the same money that she was spending on the visa, all with all of her passion. She, she, she went after visa and she, she killed visa. She got it. So she's going to take the same money because she's used to living differently, and she's going to add that, take that same money, take the minimum payment still that she's been given to American Express, put the two of them together. She starts to snowball. So now, because she's using the steam that she picked up from Visa, she has a bigger amount that she's paying to American Express. It's not just the minimum anymore. Do you get how it works? And then she keeps going. And then when she realizes, oh man, I got rid of Visa. I got rid of American Express. I'm going to go for Sears now. I'm going to get that curse of Sears off, off my back. Do you see how you do that? And that's, that's a snowball technique. 
If you can follow that technique, it will work every time. Again, this is, this is from your grandmother. This is grade five math, but it works and it's simple and it's realistic because it gives you hope. Because you start with the smallest one first, not the smallest interest, the smallest amount first. By the time she gets to blow and Martineau, wow, she is going to handle them with, with great passion. She will be so happy when she gets blow and Martineau and their interest off of her back. I hope nobody works here for Visa or American Express or Sears. Or I'm not trying to, you know, it's just the interest, okay? Uh, anyway, and number five, last part. Start saving diligently. Start saving, but diligently. Some may ask, well, what's this got to do with debt? Guess what? Life happens. And life costs money. And sometimes there are things that happen in life um, that cost you money with regard to your health or with regard to your job. You, you lost your job. That's going to cost you money. Your car gets in a, into an accident that's going to cost you money, whatever the issue is, and these, these moments and these crises in life comes, uh, don't be naive. Even people who are Christian, life happens. I find it very naive that people who profess faith, they think that they're automatically immune to certain things that happen in, as part of life. Well, you're not immune, and life costs money, and life happens. Well, do you have a plan to deal with life when life happens? Do you have any kind, of, any kind of savings if a crisis were to happen? Well, why don't you start putting away a little bit of money slowly and diligently over time? Proverbs 10 and 4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Uh, Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away. But he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Proverbs 12, 11, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. I don't have time to tell you the story uh, today, maybe another time. But briefly, a number of years ago, I, I experienced this uh, where I did something that was very, very silly. And by the way, I, I have made every mistake you can possibly make with money. I have made it. So if you need a shoulder to cry on, you can come and cry on mine. Okay, I know how to make mistakes with money. And so one, one really amusing mistake that I made was to try and make money off of a, a, a video game system that was released in 20, 2006, the famous PlayStation 3. And when the Sony PlayStation 3 came out, it was a very scarce amount, and people were lining up at Best Buy overnight and all this to buy it and sell it quick and make big money. Well, guess who was one of those people? Okay, and I bought it, but it was a nightmare. It was the nightmare before Christmas, okay? Uh, that was the chasing of a fantasy. Boy, did that not work out well. You got to save the money little by little, little by little. Let me just, let me just give you a secret here as we, as we start to close. When you take money and you invest money, even in some piddly thing that gives you 2, 3, 4%, can I just tell you, it's better for the bank to borrow from you than you to borrow from the bank. Let the bank give you money while you sleep rather than you give the bank money while you sleep. Do you understand the difference? When you take money and you, you go to whatever financial advisor, bank, whatever, and you, you invest it in something, you invest it in something that's really, really low risk or high risk, that's your choice. 
But when you take it and you invest it, and it begins to build compound interest, even if the amount of interest is small, at least they're giving you money while you sleep. At least you're bar- you're, they're borrowing from you rather than you borrowing from them. And when you do this over time, especially those of you who are young, and there are a lot of young people in our church, oh my, when you have time on your side and you can, you can uh, pay for these things uh, just, and you say goodbye to the money, what went black? Oh, the screen? Hmm. Oh, it came back. Maybe they didn't pay their bill. Yeah, just, just pull, out the, uh, pull out the black wire from the adapter and put it back in. It'll come back to life. You can do that with one hand. Wow, you're really good. Okay, so uh, where was I? Um, um, I'm lost. Where was I? Oh, the bank, yeah. So you want, you, you, you want the bank to pay you the interest, yes? And when you do this over time, and when you're young, and when, and when you have time on your side, and you say goodbye to your 50 bucks a month, it's back on, yes? Yeah, good. And you say goodbye, thank you. And you say goodbye to your $50 a month, and you do that for 20, 30 years. Wow, you could have upwards of three quarters of a million dollars. You do that for 20, 30 years. That's because the bank borrowed from you, and you reverse that curse of Malachi. Now, in the end, in the end, life is about more than money. And God is a brilliant economist. Brilliant. There's no more smart economist than God himself. And God uses money to talk about something much deeper in the scripture. And he does this over and over and over again. The passage that we looked at, Luke 14 Well, before those two verses, look what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Does he not look and see how much money he has before he builds it? This is all said in the same passage. Now we look at that and we say, what is he talking about? Hate your father and your mother? Hate your wife and children? Is he he nuts? Uh, No, this is not what he's using, a hyperbole here. And he's saying you've got to understand that compared to your love for your own family, your love for the kingdom and your priority around me must be first. And he uses these terms in hyperbole. It's like it, was, it would be as if you hated your wife and your own children, even your own life. If you want to become my disciple, you've got to give the whole thing up. And this is a calculated thing. This is a voluntary choice that you make. It's like when a person wants to build a tower. He has to consider the cost of the thing before he starts the job and before he breaks ground. Do you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, then you have to be willing to give your very life up for me. Very arrogant statement, we may say, but what if he's right? What if he rose from the dead to prove it? What if he really is God and he really went to die for us on that cross to pay a debt that we could never pay back? And this is the way that it's presented in the scripture. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, this is a monetary term. He's saying in the, in the original language there in the Greek, tetelestai, paid in full. 
The sin debt is now paid in full. It is finished. I have paid the debt that you can never pay back. And I have paid it with my own blood. That's the currency that I have used to purchase your salvation. God is a brilliant economist. I don't care if you, if you never get out of debt, but you become a disciple of Jesus, that's far better. Your, your worth to God isn't based on your net worth, yes? It's based on the fact that He created you and that He loves you and that He died to redeem you from sin. Can I pray with you before we, we go today? Uh, Don, are you, are you around? Can you just play on the keys for just a minute? Uh, and I want to pray with the people and give them just a moment to reflect here. Father, we thank you for your word today. Uh, you have so much to say to us uh, about money. And as we've been talking about relationships, this is such a source of anger and such a source of conflict. Uh, in any kind of relationships. Lord, I pray for people who are in this room today and they are exactly what the statistics say, more than $20,000 in debt, in debt up to their eyeballs, not even knowing, oh God, how to get out of it, uh, not even knowing if there's hope at the end of the, uh, of the tunnel and God's so depressed, so discouraged. I pray that the things that they've learned today Lord, would give hope and would turn a light on in their heart. And Father, I pray for those of us who would call ourselves followers of you and disciples of you. Lord, may we make that decision uh, uh, to worship you with all that we have, to always put you first, O oh God, and to give up even our, even our very desires, even our very lives for the sake of you and the sake of your kingdom. Lord, I pray for those who are in this room today who are hurting. Those, oh God, those marriages that are in moments of stress and difficulty. I pray for those who are, who are alone and feel isolated even as we move into the holiday season, oh God. It's not a source of joy necessarily for them. It's a source of difficulty. Lord, would you speak to hearts and would you encourage hearts today by the authority of Jesus while we're still just contemplating this i wonder if there may be one or two of you today and you you may you, i mean you come to church and you're you know every weekend and all of that and you, you 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 look fine on the outside but on the inside wow this message has spoken to you when you understand that jesus paid your sin debt with his own blood and you say today i want to be a disciple of Jesus today. I want to give my life to Jesus today in a way that I've never done it before. Can you just slip up your hand so that I can pray for you?